Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on the NSN app. And uh, once again, switching gears uh, every week, a new topic. You know, we love politics. We love American politics. It would be great to devote this whole quest, this whole show to the travails and trials of one Andrew Cuomo, the darling of the media, the... Uh, I, sexiest politician alive at one point the guy who won an emmy and wrote a book uh in the middle of a crisis uh after fudging the numbers and lying to the feds well what can i say i can't say enough good things about andrew cuomo now embroiled in a scandal of his own making but uh really i had promised the audience a month ago that we were going to do some focus on israel's elections part four uh, that was that is coming up on March the 23rd, and that's basically here, folks. By the time Pesach rolls around, uh, the election will have been over. Uh, the post-election, which is almost as important as the election itself, uh, will probably not have been over. But but it's so important to our listenership. It's so important to the people who uh, listen to the Nachum Siegel Network that once again I wanted to bring on another expert. We had uh, uh, Ari Harrow on a couple weeks ago to talk, kind of set the stage. And now as we get into the crunch time, like 10 days out from the election, I wanted to bring back an old friend, Mitch Barak of Kivun, uh, the CEO of a leading Israeli polling firm, uh, really to take the temperature of the Israeli electorate and uh, the first qu- uh, well, Mitch, welcome back. Good to see you virtually at least. And uh, hope all is doing well during the shutdown lockdown uh, that we've had over the last year because it's been more than a year at this point that I have been to Israel. So good to see you. It's good to be here, fully vaccinated and uh, and ready to go. Okay, well, I I am also fully vaccinated at this point, and I got to tell you, we've talked about the miracle. Of the, US, uh, of the vaccination in Israel and what's going on. Uh, I think it's 5 million vaccinations at this point. It's just an astounding number. Uh, and certainly I think that plays into the electoral calculus. But let's just say well, here we are. Well, well two weeks. Well, oh, go ahead. It does, it does play into the electoral uh, uh, you know, uh, issues because so many people have been vaccinated. But so much so that now it's not even an issue. Because everyone's vaccinated, we're already used to it. I will say, a lot of people in America are envious of Israel and compliment it. And I'll give you the secret. There's two secrets. It's not just Netanyahu that overpaid for the vaccines and lobbied personally with the CEOs of Pfizer and Moderna in order to get them. But we have socialized medicine here. So for all those Americans that are not for social medicine, there are some really good advantages to providing every single Israeli with health care, with health insurance, with medications, with free operations and everything. So something to think about on that side of the Atlantic. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well, look, there are certainly a lot of people this year uh, for many reasons who are looking uh, to cross the pond and uh, make the big jump to Aliyah, and I commend them for doing that. In fact, this week uh, we actually – saw uh, Kenny Rosenberg, the CEO of now, I'm sorry, now the owner of El Al, CEO of Centers Healthcare, a significant player in the New York Orthodox community, uh, very publicly make Aliyah uh, this week. 
uh, to and a lot many are joining him. I don't know if he's going for the socialized medicine. There could be other ulterior business reasons around that. Oh, oh he is. Okay, that's you. That's what you're saying. Uh, no, okay. I, he's not, but I, heard, I, I figured I he wants to vote. I mean, he wants to vote on March 23rd. Well, he will be able to, but I heard that he bought El Al simply because he wanted to get the free upgrade every time he comes to the airport. You know, every Jew, when they get to the airport to El Al, the first thing they say is, any free upgrades today. So now when he comes to El Al, he'll be sure to get that free upgrade every single time. Talk about overpaying, but okay, Mitch. Where do we stand? Okay, less than two weeks out. Uh, Israel, let me start with this question for you. Is the fourth installment of elections going to be the final installment of elections? Will, in fact, anything change as we as as we see it? I'll, I'll just, you know, I don't know if you want to go through party by party about where things stand. But, uh, you know, we kind of have an idea that... There is, it's no longer left and right in Israel. It's pro-BB and anti-BB. Yeah, it does, it does split along that line. I mean, he's a very divisive figure in Israel. uh, And that is how he has been, been ruling. uh, That is how he's been governing. Um, It's not clear that this will be the last election. I mean, it all boils down to Netanyahu. I mean, other people would have left by now. Other people, you know, might have given other people in their party a chance in order to keep the prime ministership and the government on the right. For example, he is not. He is convinced still that he is the only guy that can lead Israel. And there are a lot of Israelis that will agree with that. Um, the problem at this point is that he, you know, the more and more we have elections, the more he's becoming tired to the Israeli public. Meaning in general, the Israeli public has lost faith with their elected officials, both on the right and the left. The fact that there was no budget passed for 2020 or 2021, which was the sole condition, really, of this government, the government with Gantz, that wasn't done. The economy is somewhat in shambles due to the coronavirus, uh, with the thousands of businesses, tens of thousands of businesses closing. And, you know, the, the Israeli police just released the top 10 most stolen items for 2020. What do you think the number one stolen item was for 2020 if you had to guess vaccines no similac similac people are going into supermarkets into pharmacies into macolets and they're stealing similac for their babies because they don't have wow. the money to pay for that and right after that within the top 10 is you know oranges and apples and yellow cheese okay so basic staples yeah, basic staples. People, people are people are running out of money for food. There are industries which have been totally decimated. Tourism, uh, certain you know uh, uh, health uh, uh, health clubs, uh, entertainment, sports. People don't have money, and you know well, so they don't really get the noise up there on the government level of people still arguing over how many ministers are going to be. You know, this is a government that had not only the most ministers ever, but they also passed a Norwegian law to bring in more members of Knesset. So it's just like, you know, they were raiding the the pantry while, you know, Israelis couldn't eat by having more people and and more ministers, and the government didn't function. We're now in fourth elections because that government didn't function, because 
people, everyone said at the beginning, Netanyahu has no intention whatsoever to give it over to Benny Gantz. Benny Gantz basically betrayed his million voters that he would, you know, uh, replace Netanyahu, wasn't able to do that. He really didn't have the guts to do it in the end. He probably could have or might have been able to do it. Uh, he basically committed political suicide in order to do it, which, okay, you might, you know, you might appreciate that. You might say he shouldn't have done it, but he did something because we were in a crisis. In the meantime, nothing has happened. So a lot of, the, a lot of Israelis are really wearing on this government and even wearing on Netanyahu. And frankly, if you look at what Netanyahu did, just in the short span, the short months of this government, meaning bringing the Abraham Accords, 130,000 Israelis fly to Dubai in order to bring back the coronavirus from there and, and get the vaccines and really get it implemented before any country. Likud should be polling at 40 seats and not 26 and not 27, meaning this should be a cakewalk for him based on what he's done just in the last few months. But it's not because Israelis are tiring from him already and because he's not, you know, he's not, the government is not functioning. And it's already not functioning for four elections. And the reason is, is because he's not able to put a government together. And he hasn't stepped aside, but he's decided he wants to keep going to elections. So, yeah, the anti-BB forces are growing now, but are growing in a way that there are alternatives or there are paths to replace it. Whether that happens or not, we don't know. But there is a path right now that he's not going to get the 61 seats. 61 out of 120 but it's really not 61 out of 120 because you know the arab parties if i could call them that are political muktza if you will we don't like to use them so in this current connection can i said it would be 61 of 105 because their 15 seats wouldn't be allowed to be used but that might also be in play meaning it may be for the first time that the arabs support the government from the outside and say listen We'll vote. We, we will not vote against the government, let a government take over, or they actually may become ministers in the government and be part of it in order. It's just going to depend on what the priority is. The priority, getting a functioning government to move and drop the ideology and drop some of the hatred, or we're going to go left and right. And then we may go to fifth elections if that's what's going to happen. Okay, so there's uh, so much... That just got said, and that I wanted, to, I want to actually just return to a couple things. Uh, this is Spin Class. We're talking to Mitch Barak, the CEO of Kivun, uh, a polling and research firm uh, in Israel, and as well as a former communications director for the Prime Minister, uh, this Prime Minister, but not in this iteration. Correct? It was the previous iteration. Correct. I worked for Mr. Netanyahu more than almost 25 to 30 years ago when he was a deputy minister. And okay. the man has not changed. I can promise you he hasn't changed. Okay, well, uh, the Norwegian law, uh, I think that some people, given the fact that most Americans uh, aren't Norwegian and they aren't Israeli and they might don't really understand the fundamentals of a parliamentary system, is just, correct me if I'm wrong, is this idea that if you have a minister who's a member of Knesset, they can take, they can vacate their seat in the Knesset, give it to somebody else of their party, remain a minister as part of the government, but they are not actually a member of Knesset, so thereby bringing in more people who can fill government jobs or elected jobs, if you will. Correct. They limited it to, I believe, two, par two people per party, I think. 
meaning so two ministers could resign and then two more people would come in on the list or even more and then if they ever resigned as minister they would automatically get the get the seat back so a whole bunch of new people came in and as they like to say between oslo and the norwegian law we haven't got a lot of great things out of that country maybe it's time to stop <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Okay, I want to just return to the left-right issue for a second because fundamentally it seems that Israel's left, even if with a new head of the Labor Party, uh, is is continuing uh, is continuing to be weak. Uh, if you look at it, okay, so Likud, they should be forty seats, but if you take Likud together with Gidon Sar, together with Yamina. They are up, you know, well beyond, you know, those those three are over 50 seats, essentially. Now, they should be together, but they won't be together because of the animosity towards Netanyahu. And I think a lot of American Jews, particularly those who listen to the show, need to understand how that falls, where the right-wing voter, okay— Will is a right-wing voter who doesn't want territorial compromise. They are not necessarily in for things that the left, they wouldn't necessarily be in sync with a democratic American government on Israel. They're certainly not J-streeters, but they won't sit with Netanyahu. They won't sit on the right. So you have this fundamental inconsistency that we would, you know, that we Americans have from our two-party system uh, uh, understanding of after the election, where do the Bennetts and the Sars and their followers go if they are really on the right, but they're not necessarily going with BB? Okay, so let's let's take a let's take a step back and kind of explain to your listeners what is the voting like, what is the elections like here. I'm going to say it very simply. In America, I would describe the voting like playing checkers. Okay, you have red checkers versus blue checkers. Okay. And you I think it's basically black. have to try and jump over the uh, other checkers. And if you jump, then you win. It's a winner-take-all election. And then I would even say, you know, in checkers, if you get to the end of the board, you get to, you get to be king. You get another checker on top, and then you can move around the board. So I would say those king checkers, I would call them incumbents because the system is I wouldn't say rigged, but the system in the U.S. is there's a big advantage based on the district and the, the, the consistent gerrymandering of those districts that incumbents are going to win. Really, the only uh, contest is in the primaries, and uh, most of those seats, you know, stay the same. So those double kings are the incumbents or these big packs that have massive amounts of money. So you, you vote for a candidate, your candidate wins or loses. Even if your candidate loses you're still serviced by that congressman, by that senator, by that governor. He still is responsible to provide you services. Israel is a totally different game, okay? I would call it a chessboard, okay? And the chessboard is, it's one team against the other, but you're voting for different things on that chessboard. So in this election alone, there are three people that are running to be the king. Of Israel. Three people are running for prime minister. Netanyahu, but there are really four. Netanyahu, Bennett, Lapid, and Saar. They all say, I want to be the prime minister. I'm running for prime minister. There are other parties 
whether they be the tzinut hadatit or labor or merits that are saying, I want to be a really good rook. I want to be a really good knight that's going to work with that king in order to, you know, be prime minister or be king. So you have different people voting on the board for different things. Some are voting for prime minister. Some are voting for a strong party that's going to go with the prime minister. And then right after election day, all of a sudden you have some of the pieces change colors. They decide they're going to go with a different party. So the, the party of knights that you voted for all of a sudden has broken into, you know, rooks and pawns. And they've gone on the other team. So it's a very, very confusing system. And people are voting for different reasons. Some people are voting within the right block, within the left block. There are some that are voting for the religious parties because they assume that they're going for the right block, but they're willing to go with a non-right block for certain specific issues. And then there are some that are just voting the Israeli Arabs just to have their constituency. So that's the first thing that I think is important to understand, is that different people are voting for different reasons, and then people within parties are changing afterwards, and they're trying to break them off in order to form a government. When it comes to left and right, um, there is a split of left and right, okay, as you said, and there is, Bennett has said, he hasn't committed whether he's going to go with Netanyahu, or he's trying to make a government himself. He's already said, He's not going to sit under Lapid because Lapid is left. Meaning he's running a campaign saying the economy and coronavirus is the most important thing for me. He's taken people that are identified with that, but yet he's not willing to go with Lapid because Lapid is left. So one has to ask, well, what is more important to you, Naftali Bennett? Is it really the economy or coronavirus? And then it wouldn't matter who you sit with, or you're still in this right-left axis and you can't break out of it. Saar also. Saar has said, I worked with Netanyahu. I don't trust him. He's taken people from Netanyahu's party. He said, I'm going to be the next prime minister. He's running to be prime minister. And he said, I'm not going to sit with Netanyahu, no chance. And I believe him. I believe him, not just because I know him, because he worked with Netanyahu, he doesn't trust him. The problem with his party, as the problem with Bennett's party, is they're really untested. Not only are they untested, in, in Bennett's party, there are new people that he took, these shulmans who were protesting about the economy. And in Saar's party, it's basically made up of people that deserted or betrayed their voters and went with other parties. So who knows what's going to happen after Election Day? Meaning, is he going to lose some people? He himself is not going to go with Netanyahu. But when you take some backbenchers on his list and say, you could now be a minister and you could implement your very important ideology, and we'll put you on the table, that's really important. Now, Benny Gantz is another one. Benny Gantz, who is basically the alternate prime minister, he's got his top four, five people are all ministers. What happens if Benny Gantz is elected and he gets four or five seats? He's only going to get one minister, maybe two. The other three are going to be members of Knesset. And if he doesn't join the government, what are these people going to do? They're, they came into politics as ministers. They're now going to be in the Knesset? No, they're perfect, you know, to be plucked by Netanyahu and say, listen, join me. I'm going to give you, you know, minister. You can stay minister. Join my party. So the real horse trading is going to happen after the results are in. And the problem is 
is that for most of these parties, there's no loyalty in Israeli politics. There's no real honesty with the voters, and there's no loyalty. So someone who's elected on one mandate could say, I'm jumping ship and I'm moving. And that's where the real problem starts. Let's also factor in the role of the president, right? So Ruben Rivlin is, uh, is, is on his way out, retiring, but I think this will possibly be his last election, right? He has, he has a term. Um, so this, correct. Um, there is a historical animosity I've read about, although I don't, I think that's what I hear about. It's uh, between him and Bibi. Um, I guess, uh, that's, uh, something maybe you'll, you'll comment in a second, but it's up to him to decide who gets the form the government. Uh, you mentioned four potential hopefuls who might want to form the government. Uh, you've seen this happen before. I, in most people's estimation, it would be the person who ends up with the most seats, which by all accounts is going to be Likud. I don't think anybody is is questioning whether Likud is going to end up with the most seats of any individual party. So then the question becomes where, what kind of math can you put together between those and what will Rivlin decide? Now, last time around, if everybody recalls, in Israel election part three of our soap opera, uh, there was potential for BB and there was potential for Gantz as to how they were going to do it. And they ended up coming together uh, or that might have been also in, happened in part two as well. Uh, Gantz is pr- very unlikely to be a factor. In fact, he might not even make it into the Knesset at all on his list, according to some polls. Um, so in the in the time we have left, tell me what you think of the role of Rivlin here who may not want BB to continue in office, at least anecdotally i'm not gonna i'm throwing that out there as a question and where that falls in about who he would like is it lapid is it Gidon Sar? is it naftali bennett i mean of the non-bbs who does he uh pick if it if it comes to that and okay, so i'll no, throw I all that out chad i think it's a great question i think it's great to bring up rivlin because he could be a very key player here so the first is you, there is animosity but i would call it a one-way animosity it's really the Netanyahu, Mr. and Mrs., who can't stand Rivlin and try to prevent him from becoming prime minister, even though Rivlin was Netanyahu's candidate for prime minister. Netanyahu likes to be president and then put up a second candidate uh, to beat him. So I, there, there's no proof or no thought that Rivlin is holding a personal grudge. And he has spent his time as president being, you know, uh, uh, very official very fair, representing Israelis. So there's no real fear of that. What, where this could come into play is, it, it's not just, traditionally it has been the largest party that did get the mandate, but there have been at least two precedents that I can think of where the largest party didn't. And I think one of them was in one of these past elections where, where Gantz actually got it because I think he had more people that recommended him, even though he was like one or two seats behind Netanyahu. And, and then Netanyahu, back, I think, in 2009, Tsipi Livni in Kadima had one more seat than the Likud did, but the Likud got the nod. Where it's going to be different here, and Rivlin has already said this, they normally come in, it's a formality, they come in, they go around the room, and Rivlin says, who do you recommend to be prime minister? You know, can you work with the other guy? And so forth. This is going to be different, because Rivlin has already said he's going to go in-depth with them and say, 
who can be prime minister? See, the amazing thing about Israel, which maybe a lot of listeners don't realize, there's only 120 people that are qualified to be prime minister legally in Israel, and those are members of Knesset. And Israel has a very unique system in that any day of the week, there can be a political coup d'etat, and 61 members of Knesset can decide in the morning that they want to throw out the prime minister, and they have a brand new prime minister of any of the 120 people, and then the government falls, and that new government is installed. So that should have really been a stopgap here, or like a safety net or a check and balance these past three elections, meaning someone should have come up within the Likud to challenge Netanyahu in the Knesset, or a bunch of Knesset members should have got together and say, listen, this is crazy what's going on. Let's just find someone and get 61 people to do it. They weren't able to do it. So that appears what Rivlin might do. Rivlin might talk to them and say, guys, it doesn't matter who the biggest party is. It matters who is going to be get the votes to be prime minister. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the first person on the list. Meaning if there's someone on the list, number five, number seven, number 10, number 20, on the list, as long as they're members of Knesset, that's where I think there might be some creativity. Now, a last word about Rivlin. He is from cut from the Jabotinsky, Benny Begin, Mary Dorr family, cloth of revisionist Zionists. These are people that believe in democracy. They believe in rule of law. They're against racism. They're against hate speech, which is not what the Likud, the Likud has kind of evolved into this, you know, party that is not that anymore. Uh, so, you know, he's not going to play political tricks, Rivlin, although Netanyahu will accuse him of it. He is looking for the good of the country, the good of the people, and, you know, moving the country forward. It might be a creative thing that comes out, you know, when he recommends, and he also might get involved in trying to put it together. He has a mandate to do whatever he wants. Once he gives the mandate, he might be able to put some of the members of Knesset and say, here's what you guys can do. He's got a lot of leeway. And he's on his swan song, if you will. He goes out, I think, in you know April, May, June. He goes out within a few months. There's a new election. And he might really try and leave Israel in a much better place than it has been for the last two years. Okay, so as we have uh, got time for one more question, fortunately. So I'm going to throw a polling question at a pollster. Uh, you know, everybody says... The pollsters don't know what they're talking about here in America. They get it wrong. Everybody, all the polls had blowout victories for various Democrats in the various Senate races. Everybody thought that Donald Trump was going to lose by a landslide in 2020. Uh, they thought Hillary Clinton was going to win in 2016. So the, everybody assumes, particularly this listenership, that the pollsters don't know what they're doing. Is Israel any different? Well, I'll put it like this. When you uh, put your chillant up on Friday, if you take the temperature of your chillant Friday right before Shabbos, it might not be the same temperature when you're ready to eat it on Shabbos afternoon. Because you're taking the temperature at that moment in time of what you think what's at that moment. It doesn't necessarily predict if there's changes. Meaning if your heat goes off in your house, then it's going to be different. So, yeah. Polling is not uh, a, a perfect uh, science here. It's easier in America, meaning it is a science, but it's easier in America because it's a winner-take-all, so it's going to be one of two candidates, so it's a little bit easier, and things change. It's a dynamic environment. 
In Israel, again, I've said this many, many times, people really start deciding who they're going to vote for. They make their final decision from Friday night dinner, the Tuesday before election, until Tuesday. And many of them, on the way to the ballot as they walk to the polling station, decide. Meaning people are going to make the decision based on who knows between now and next week what crisis is going to be. Who knows how many you know coronavirus infections we're going to have. Who knows? We, we, the latest is with every election there's a new set of bones that comes back from Russia somehow. Now the talk is Ellie, Bones, body, Ellie Cohen's body is going to come back from Syria. Maybe we'll even get Ron Arad, meaning, you know, and that can have an effect. And that changes people. And there's always the question of voters coming home or coming back to their base in the end. Israelis love to punish their politicians when, when they're talking to the pollsters. But at the end of the day, someone who has for three generations put in Likud is going to put in Likud again. Someone who for three generations has put in the Mafdal, the National Religious Party, now has nowhere to go because there is no National Religious Party. Someone who puts in Aguda, they're angry at some of the rabbis, they're angry at the coronavirus. At the end of the day, I'd like to see the, that trembling hand not put in the gimel. A lot of them say they're going to vote elsewhere. I'm not convinced at the end of the day they're going to be able to do it. And that's true with a lot of the parties that have been around. So newer parties sometimes are at a disadvantage, but sometimes people say, what the heck, let's just roll the dice, bring in someone new, and let's do it. So it's too early to tell. And also, again, Israelis are Israelis. They're opinionated, and they uh, get very upset or very emotional about things, and then that changes as we get to election day. Okay, last question, 10 seconds. How much does it matter that Israelis who are abroad cannot return home this time to vote? Uh, you know, again, 10 seconds. We, we don't know. I, does I, it I matter don't or does it not? I, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's not fair to keep uh, citizens outside of the country who want to come back, especially during the election. It's hard. To but see does it? But will happen. it but matter? Both sides will say that they might have lost the election because of that. Okay, fair enough. Mitch Barak, Kivud Research. Uh, we got a pollsters polling insight into what possibly could be part four of the endless cycle of Israeli elections. Thank you for joining us here on Spin Class. Stay tuned with for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week.